Welcome to the Castos Creator Spotlight Podcast, where we interview content creators and talk about podcasting and share advice and talk about the experiences of other content creators in the space. My name is Sam Cholbowski. I'm the head of growth over here at Castos, and I am absolutely delighted today to be joined by our guest, Eric Stoffer from the Proper Sense Podcast. So Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Sam. Just uh, trying to survive a heat wave here in Arizona tends to be the theme of the summer as well as a large part of the country this year. So how about you? How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Um, Denver, fortunately, where I'm located, has been a little bit cooler. It's just been hovering around 80 every day, so not nearly as hot as Arizona and uh, having a great summer so far, you know, kind of getting back to doing some normal things here and there, which has been really nice. So. Yeah, that's great. I was just up in Denver recently, and it was good to see people out and about and enjoying the fruits of Denver City or the the, the city center of Denver. I would be a better way to say it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, things have been uh, pretty lively here, and uh, it's great that you had a chance to visit. I love that. Definitely loved being here in Denver. It's been going on ten years here now, so it's been wonderful. So I'm really excited to talk today with you, Eric. I am interested in finance. I look at a lot of information about finance. So it was amazing to see when I ran across the Proper Sense podcast and what you're doing there. And one of the things that we were talking about when we spoke previously was this sort of idea of if you build it, they will come and the idea of podcasting. And it sounds like you also learned a lot of really great things along the way about process and how having the process in place is going to yield results. So I'd love to talk about that today, but I also want to you know, maybe just take a step back first and ask you generally, how did you get into podcasting? What was your reason for starting the Proper Sense podcast? And uh, yeah, if you just tell me a little bit more about it. My road to podcasting started probably, I would say, over a decade ago when I first got into content production online. So I started an insurance review website before the review space was just completely taken over by ads and lead generation. And that was a blog focused on reviewing insurance webs or insurance companies. And so I spent a lot of time in the content production state. We sold that company here a few years ago and started the Proper Sense Proper, if you will, and then the Proper Sense podcast underneath that. And when we were first deciding how we wanted to reach consumers and listeners, ultimately, we put together a number of verticals, different methods for getting our content in front of them. And podcasting just kept bubbling back up to the front. You know, finance is such a nuanced topic. The information out there is very bland if you go onto websites and read it. And we wanted to find a way to get our personalities and share specific stories in a way that just couldn't be done in the written word. And so it, we just kept coming back to it, kept coming back to it. And finally, we threw it into the mix and said, all right, let's give it a go. None of us had really done it before, but we would all been listening to them for five or six years every day. And we thought, you know, what better way to connect with our audience than setting up a podcast and having a dialogue and being able to express our own personal opinions and our own stories directly to the listeners. That is amazing. And, you know, what I really love about, you know, your show, and I listened to a few episodes, is it's definitely a fresh spin 
on finance. You know, I grew up listening to Dave Ramsey. My dad would have it on the, you know, in the car on the way home. But I think there's kind of a, you know, a disconnect, you know, at least in my opinion. The advice Dave gives, a lot of it's still sound, but it seems like for a younger generation who's now going off in the world, they're doing things like, you know, saving for retirement, buying maybe their first home. And I think that there's a disconnect between the older folks and sort of that generation who grew up on Dave Ramsey versus a younger generation who, you know, thinks this information is a little bit dated. There's nothing that's really exciting them or drawing them in because they're not connecting with a personality in that way. So I really loved that about your show specifically. So Eric, you had mentioned that you were doing a lot of content creation for expertinsurancereviews.com. And I would like to know a little bit about that content, just because I think it's a nice segue into talking about, you know, podcasting as a medium. So with expert insurance reviews, what was the content strategy there? And, you know, what have you learned from that that applies to what you're doing now? So it was a progression from the beginning. You know, in the beginning, it was over a decade ago. And so the review space hadn't really taken off yet. And so it started with me after work, sitting at home, sharing a bottle of wine with my wife. On And we lived in Southern California in a little tiny box. So she was watching TV on our bed and I was sitting at the desk in the computer, just typing away. I'd review companies. I knew a lot about it being a former insurance agent. And so I'd write up my opinions about it. And as that started to gain traction, we realized if we wanted to expand this thing, we really needed to build a system. And so since I had never really done that before, it was all trial by fire, you know, making mistakes and just going forward. And what we found was that consistency became the game because writing, just like podcasting, just like making videos, it can be very tedious if you're not in the right mindset. And so you can push that kind of thing off for weeks if you allow yourself to. And so what we found is creating a schedule, coming up with topics, sticking to that schedule no matter what, and just going and going and going and going and going, over time, you build this huge spread of content. And I like to think of them as fishing poles in the water. And the more poles you got in the water, the more fish you're going to catch. And that production process has really helped us in this podcast step because we're not starting from scratch. We've never done this before, but we were able to take a lot of the lessons learned from the written content production which was consistency and continuously keeping your foot on the gas and move that over into this. And it's been a very, very positive history to be able to rely on in the production of these podcasts. Yeah, I love that point because I think so much of the time, whenever someone's getting into any form of content creation, there can be a tendency to overcommit to the content that you are going to produce. What are your tips for helping others maybe try and find a schedule that works for them. How do you sort of assess your bandwidth and how did you come up with your own systems for this podcast? So the first thing I recommend to anybody who asks me a similar question to that is make sure you get your system in place first, even if it's slower in the beginning, because burnout is real. And anybody who's done any of this, you know, this isn't a three month or six month process. These are often years. And if you just come out swinging and you think that you're going to wing it from and shoot from the hip and you're going to produce, you know, five pieces of content a week right out of the gate and you don't have a reliable system with tools 
and people to rely on or however that system looks and you just start going, it's very likely you're going to run into burnout. And so I always recommend starting by practicing, especially with podcasting. That's what we did. Our first step is we knew we were going to be kind of garbage at it in the beginning. We knew that we didn't know what we were doing. And so we just started picking topics, jumping on a Google Meet, hitting record on Audacity, and then just going. And it was fun. And we learned a ton, but we haven't produced or we haven't published any of those episodes because there was no cohesive story. We would go off on rants. We would, you know, tangent this way. And we'd look back at it and say, well, that was fun having the dialogue. But as a listener, this would not be something we wanted to to listen to. And so we took that and started working backwards and figuring out, all right, what do we need? We needed a, we need a storyline. We need to have at least an outline. So that way, when we go off on a tangent, somebody can bring us back into the fold and come back to the narrative. And so that was probably the first big lesson we learned. And then from there, it's just incremental changes as you, as you continue th- with your system. You try, you produce, you listen, and then you make adjustments and you just keep going forward. And the, the goal is that everyone gets better and better as you move forward. Amazing. Yeah. I think that sometimes practicing, even without the attention of putting it out, at least in the beginning, is something that any new content creator can benefit from. Seeing the way that you flow through, whether it be an episode, the way that you're writing content and iterating on that process is just something that I think is really important. And it's going to allow you to produce your best work and kind of grow and learn over time. So I'd love to talk a little bit more, too, about the Proper Sense podcast, but also sort of just the mission of the website. So how did Proper Sense start? Did it start as a podcast? Did it start as, you know, courses, a blog? Can you tell us a little bit more about that and how the podcast fits into sort of your content channel mix? The idea of Proper Sense has been bubbling under the surface for a handful of years now. It's always been something that me and my partners have wanted to engage in. We wanted to, we're both very knowledgeable in different facets of finance. So you were talking about Dave Ramsey earlier, and he, I will always give him credit for being the one that pulled me out of massive amounts of debt when I got out of college. I had just stumbled across him, went through the same process, listened to him. And I agree, it's, it's a little outdated and targeted more towards a different generation. And that's where we come in. But that was sort of the, the initial idea. How do we take the Dave Ramsey, the Susie Ormans, the David Box, the, the big names out there that have been preaching sort of the same ideas, which are the foundational personal finance ideas, but how do we make them more relatable to a not even younger generation, I would say, because you know, you talk about millennials that are already hitting their 40s on the on the edge case, and they're living a different life than the narratives of those books and those podcasts from those guys are saying. You know, they still talk about cell phones as being a luxury item. Well, they're not. I mean, the difference is a $100 cell phone will do the job when people still want to buy a $1,000 cell phone on the other idea and on the other end. And that's where we come in and start to talk about that. We also have, you know, a generation that is saddled, saddled by things like student loans, rising home prices, things that didn't exist when they were writing their books. And so the initial idea was how do we take these tried and true personal finance pillars, if you will, and how do we bring them into the modern times and relate to people in our similar age cohort, you know, that have kids maybe that are thinking about having kids, 
getting married, buying houses in modern times. And so that's where it spun out of. And then we just started, we, we started with the website. We built that first. And then the podcast, as I said, it just kept bubbling to the top. It just kept coming up. We kept saying, what other marketing channels do we want to add to this? And we realized, you know, we have a lot of anecdotes. We have a lot of personal stories. We have our own personalities that we would like to convey. And no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't get that through with the written word on the website. And so naturally the podcast was born and here we are. You know, I grew up listening to Dave Ramsey too, and it was something that was really helpful to me when I first came out of college. And then, you know, I kind of hit this sort of finance lull where I wasn't really, you know, reading too much about it, really looking into it too much, kind of just on autopilot. And it's really been interesting because it's something that I'm very actively pursuing now and specifically, you know, people who are, who share similar values, who have had, you know, a similar experience that is relatable. And I love what you said about updating these things, but maintaining that foundation because a lot has changed since some of these strategies were put out there into the world. And there's parts of them that are really great, but you know, I think there's also a room for a more nuanced discussion, which is why I really enjoyed your episode. So could I ask you a question, actually? And this has been something that I've seen some contention on within the finance space, 15-year mortgage or 30-year mortgage? Personally, I'm a 15-year mortgage guy. I think that it aligns you better with your overall budget strategy. I think that the idea of paying on a mortgage for 30 years or longer if you refinance, as a lot of people do, I, I think people just don't fully appreciate the understanding or the value of having a house that's paid off. Now, that being said, I think, and we talk about this a lot, for people coming into the home buying market for the first time, given especially what's happened in the last year with home prices, that could be unattainable. But I think the goal, even if you got to move in with a 30, I think the goal long term is you want to get it down as fast as you can. Because if you've, if you've ever looked at your mortgage statements on a 30-year mortgage, even with low interest rates, a big chunk of every payment in the beginning is going to interest. So you're not really getting anywhere. And then for me personally, we've timed it to where our mortgage, if we stay in this current house will end right about the time our kids get to college. And then that'd be great because then if we haven't saved enough for college, we can help cash flow that using the mortgage or what was the mortgage. But many people will disagree. (laughs) (laughs) I think you actually may have just changed my mind because that was kind of a fresh take on that I hadn't heard. When we were purchasing our first home, the things that I was looking into it and they were basically saying that, hey, interest rates are so low. Just go with the 30-year mortgage and then look for other investment vehicles as opposed to paying down the house. So I think you actually have swayed me right there. That's uh, really interesting. Absolutely. And that what they're talking about is, you know, we live in a weird time with interest rates lower than they've probably ever been in anybody's lifetime. And so, you know, if you're talking to a finance major, yes, the correct move would be don't pay off the house continue investing, get a larger return. But there's it doesn't factor in risk. There's a lot of other things. It's not as simple as, well, I can get a 7% return in the market and I'm going to pay a 3% over here. So it's going to make more long-term. Yes, that's fine. But if we also have a four or five-year down market, there's a lot of variables that go into it. And I just think that buying a house that you can afford, not stretching too much, and having a goal to pay it off in your working life 
is a reasonable foundation because once you have a paid off house, your foundation, your financial foundation is very, very solid. You know, nobody can take it as long as you pay your taxes and keep your insurance going. Amazing. I, I think these conversations are so important to have and that there's so many people that can really benefit from it. So I would love to dive in a little bit more into, you know, where do you see the content that you're putting out going? What's the overall strategy? What's sort of your plans for the future of this show? So in the beginning, we we figured it more as just one of the marketing tools of the overall proper sense business. As we've continued to develop it, we've come to the realization that this could be a big driving factor for getting our message out, which that is, you know, this is modern times, things are different. You need to approach finance a little bit differently than maybe your parents did. And just the more we put into the podcast, the more time we spend, the more feedback we get on it, the more we realize this could be one of the greatest tools to connect to our audience. So where it started as just another sort of marketing pillar in our overall strategy, it's quickly becoming one of the primary focuses. You know, even doing things like this, being able to sit down with you, Sam, and talk about it and ultimately have people come and talk to us on our podcast the reach that it it has the ability to create. I just don't see any other tool out there in modern times, especially with the way Google is and favors big businesses and how difficult SEO is and how expensive marketing is. I just see it as a fantastic tool to connect with audiences. And we didn't really fully appreciate it until we dove in with both feet. I would also like to talk a little bit too, now that we've discussed the platform, monetization. Are you monetizing the content that you're putting out? in any way? Do you have plans to monetize it in the future? At this point, we're not. And that was part of our strategy. Our strategy, because I've done this multiple times in different sectors, once you build the audience, the monetization has a habit of following. And and that's something that in the past, I've been fairly good at finding. And I didn't want to get bogged down with the nickeling and diming of that at this point. We have, because of previous success, we're able to come into this with a little bit of a war chest and we were able to you know, not have to bootstrap. So our focus right now has been on getting the content up to speed, getting the website built out, getting the podcast flowing, and then ultimately moving into the monetization aspect. So absolutely, it's on the roadmap, but our primary focus right now is to create great content, get it in front of the listeners and the readers, and then move from there. I really like that approach and it's amazing to speak with somebody who has that opportunity to be able to really focus on just putting out the best content you possibly can without rushing into monetization. The reason why I really love that is because I think there is a really great lesson in there that if you focus on high quality content and focus on putting that out there and making it accessible... When you do start monetizing elements of your podcast, I think that, and you know, this is just gut feel and based on a little anecdotal experience after speaking to some of our customers, I think that the monetization items that you put out are ultimately going to be higher quality and they're going to be more relevant for your audience. Would you agree with that? That's exactly right. I've been in this space, again, not in podcasting, but in the online marketing monetization world for a long time. And I started in the SEO space about 13, 14 years ago with a different company. And that was back when it was all about gaming the system. It was all about 
mass production of really low quality content just to get thousands and thousands of things into Google search results. And it quickly shifted from that, as we all probably know, anybody in the content space, where it became content is king. If you make it better, if you make it more relatable, if you make it more engaged for the listeners, for the readers, for the viewers, whatever it is, focus on making better content. Don't focus on making as much as you can. Focus on making the best content. Because once you do that, as you're saying, the monetization follows. You know, there's nothing worse than having to nickel and dime with a big vendor when you don't have any viewers because you're making crappy content. But once you have a bunch of listeners or viewers or readers and it's solid and you can show those statistics, the monetization opportunities just flood open for you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I've, I've seen this also a couple of times. My brother is actually a content creator on YouTube. And when he was getting started, you know, he had quit his full-time job to do YouTube full-time. When he had first started, he you know really wasn't taking advertisers. But what happened over time is when he turned down some of these initial advertising opportunities that might have isolated his audience or, you know, it was like a mobile game ad. It was something that had nothing to do with his cooking content. After turning those down and allowing for his channel to grow and he continues to put out great content, he's getting now approached by people who are extremely relevant to his show. Brands like Traeger, brands that are selling knives, things like that, things that his audience are actually using. And it appears in that content and nobody is sort of rubbed the wrong way by it because the content he's put out has been so good that it sort of attracts those monetization opportunities. And I think... You know, with what you're saying as well, you know, if podcasters can focus on putting out the best content they possibly can, those opportunities will come. But is there also a strategy? Have you set a strategy for yourself? Like we want to monetize this by this date. And do you think that's even important for podcasters or they should maybe just focus on the content itself first? We're in a unique position because we're we're a little bit bigger than just the podcast. So our first focus on monetization is the website, just because that's the background that I have. The podcasting side of it, you know, I would just based on my own personal experience to answer your question. I think everyone, if they have the ability to do it, should spend the most time in the beginning focusing on creating good content. You know, talking just even using your brother as an example, what you're describing is a good user experience, right? So he comes out, creates great content. And then ultimately when advertisers start showing up, it's relevant to his product, it's relevant to his service. And so that that creates a better user experience for the ultimate viewer, listener, reader, because it's tied in with what it is rather than just shoving any sort of agreement or any sort of contract down the down the listener's throat you wait until it's available and you have the right thing that can seamlessly fit in. And then ultimately, from a content creator's position, it's more convertible. So if it's relevant to what you're talking about or what you're doing, then the user or the listener is more likely to actually engage with that advertiser or sponsor, which then in turn jacks up the amount that you can charge as the content producer. So I would like to ask a little bit about your workflow. What does it look like when you're putting together a new episode and what tools are you using, if you wouldn't mind sharing that with our audience? Sure. So our current model, and as I said, it's it's ever-changing as we come up with new tools or find new things and 
figure out new strategies. But right now we do about once a month, we come up with a list of topics or add to our list of topics, things that we think are relevant, things that might be timely. I think it's important though for people, if you're doing a timely type podcast, then the content can get stale. So we like to mix in things that are a little bit more what's called evergreen, things that people can listen to two or three years from now and it still matters. So we do a little bit of mix of both. And then, so we have our content list ideas. Then we meet, we write an outline. We come up with basic flow of how we want it to go. Then whoever is actually going to be doing it. So I've got two partners and we, a lot of times it's two of us. Sometimes all three of us do it. We'll all take that outline, make changes, add our notes. You know, I've got one partner that likes to shoot from the hip a little bit more and just sort of wing it. And he's really, really good at that. I like to have a little bit more of a flow and outline. So I spend some time and, and jot down some of my notes and what I'd like to touch on and what I'd like to say. Then we record. So the way we do it, the tools we use is for two reasons. One, we really wanted to get into the kind of the bottom of the barrel and figure out how all this works. So we're doing it a little bit more raw in a sense. So we use Google Meet because it's just part of the suite that we already have. We record locally using Audacity, and then we upload everybody's local files, and then we take them down and put them all together. So once we have that done, we also use, because we have a website, we use a service called Temi, T-E-M-I, and that's a transcribing service. I wouldn't say it's the best. It's You're going to have a lot of errors, but what it does is it takes a 30, 40, 50-minute podcast, costs about six, seven bucks, and it turns it into text. And from there, we can go through, make the edits, and then we can transfer it over to our website. And then finally, obviously, we love Castos. So we've been using that now for a number of months. The ease of use is fantastic. I mean, it's it's simple to upload things. What I really like about it is it's connected to all of the different distribution channels. So, you know, whether it's Spotify or Apple Music or Amazon, it's once you set it up, which doesn't take very long, it just automatically distributes it throughout the entire ecosystem. And then we've got a podcast up and live. And understanding that workflow, and it seems like you have a really great system, I think is really helpful to allow you as a content creator to be consistent. So I think being intentional about that workflow and how things operate is something that a lot of podcasters out there You know, if you are struggling to put together content, if you are finding yourself feeling a little burnout and you don't have a general workflow for the way that you're recording and putting out episodes, it's something that I think is just invaluable to make sure that you stick with it, whether it's for, you know, a year, three years, a decade to stick with that content creation. And things can change over time, but having that plan in place and having that process in place is just so, so valuable. I'd also like to circle back around to something that you had said, which I think is really interesting. You had mentioned that it was important for you all to have evergreen content mixed in. And I think that that is really valuable just because there's so many things that we talk about that might not be applicable a couple months down the road. And I think that's a really good takeaway from this is that if you are a podcast and you have that ability to mix in that sort of evergreen content that people can listen to whenever, it's a really, really great tool. One thing that you also told me when we were speaking uh, before, Eric, is you were talking about building a base and driving listeners to that base of episodes. And obviously the evergreen content fits in there, but what is your strategy 
around building a base? And why did you choose to do that? So when we first started researching podcasts, so anybody who's thinking about starting one little tip here, do your due diligence, go learn about it, figure out what hosting is, figure out the tricks of the trade. So that way you don't have to spend months learning them yourself. But one that kept coming up and standing out and and really made a lot of sense was if you're going to put a bunch of marketing or you're going to start pushing your podcast, make sure you have a base layer of content first because the listening habits of a lot of people, a lot of people like to binge, a lot of like people like to listen in the car to and from work. There's a lot of different styles, but, but one of the consistent things is when people find things they like, they like to tune in consistently. And so if you've only got two podcasts up and you're recording, let's say a couple of month and they find you, you can have a lot of drop off if you've only got one or two podcasts up at that point. So. What that meant is we wanted to put a focus on getting a, as you said, a base layer of content produced first, focusing primarily on evergreen content because we knew people weren't going to be listening to it for at least a couple months until we started pushing it and and getting it out on our social channels and, and getting listeners to come in. And so that created that base layer. So that way, as people have started to discover us, they've got an entire playlist of episodes that they can sink their teeth in and really get them to buy into your narrative and become a fan. Yeah. Having that base layer of content, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. We are in this sort of binge watching, binge listening generation. And, you know, as you noted that the evidence supports that if you can build this base, it's going to, you know, establish long-term engagement, long-term listenership. You had also mentioned something that I would like to ask you about. And that's pushing out the episode. So what is your strategy for marketing the episodes? How do you share your work? How, do, how are you growing your audience right now? Well, for one, doing things like this. I think, you know, guest appearances, guest... Well, the next thing we're going to be working on is bringing people that have established podcasts and have other brands and bringing them on as guests. I think that's probably one of the greatest tools that podcasters have. And it's very reminiscent of bloggers probably 15 years ago. And that's how a lot of these, you know, everything from the simple dollar to, you know, other big established brands that have all pretty much been bought out by the big mega online companies these days. But that's how bloggers really got out in the beginning is they, they were just kind of typing for their small audience. And then they started linking to each other. Then they started having people guest post back when guest posting was not viewed as negative by Google and all of these other avenues. And so just sharing it amongst the space is a great way to get more listeners. Another thing is you have to take advantage of your social media channels, which just unfortunately creates another marketing arm that you have to manage. But you know the engagement that social can bring, especially in an environment like this, when you're talking directly to your audience, it's just fantastic. So One of the techniques we want to use and combine with social going forward is we want to start creating little, we're calling them digestible podcasts. So we've got our consistent once or eventually twice a week, big evergreen and timely content. And then we want to start producing things that are a little bit more social friendly. So one idea we have is doing a Friday happy hour where we all sit around and drink a couple beers and just kind of go off for five or 10 minutes about something relative or relevant in the news. And just bringing that audience in because once they listen and they like it, your biggest advocate becomes your fan base. And that's the important thing to nurture as a podcaster 
is you want to get that diehard fan base that anytime in a conversation or something online that someone brings up that's relevant in our case to finance, the first thing they're going to do is send them the link over or share it on Facebook or send them a DM on Twitter and say, Hey, you got to check these guys out. And so I think engagement through social, through guest posts or guest appearances, and then also hosting people as guests on your podcast, I think are probably some of the, the three of the most impactful ways that you can grow audiences right out of the gate. And I think what's really helpful too, Eric, and what I loved about the example that you had given regarding engagement is consider different mediums for the content that you're putting out. The example that you shared, how you know you're going to be launching these shorter, more digestible bits that you can use on social media. I think that's also really great for people who might not have time in their day to listen to a longer episode, but can totally manage a five minute or a you know a two or three minute episode. And that could bring you know new listeners into your content so that when they do have time, they're able to sit down and fully listen to a longer form episode. So I really like the thought process behind that, thinking about the medium, thinking about the form of the content, and you know, taking this sort of multi-channel approach as you work to build this brand. I, I absolutely love it. It's you know clear that you definitely know far more about me than content production because of this, you know, amazing approach that you've built and this strategy that you have for the future and how you're going to grow the proper sense uh, network, if you will, I guess, if I can call it that. I hope so. You know, we, we started to call it years ago when we were first talking about it, a platform, but that term has been commandeered by your Roblox and your Fortnites and, and your, your Apple ecosystem. So we have to Call it a network. I like that. That's a, that's. I'm going to use that. Thanks, Sam. You are welcome. Always happy to uh, provide some accidental free advice. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. It has been so great to talk to you today, Eric. And I think that there are just so many awesome takeaways from this episode. If anyone is interested, we would love for you to tune into the Proper Sense podcast. It is hosted on Castos. You can find that wherever you get your podcasts uh, as well. I definitely encourage you to head to the Proper Sense website. That is propersense.com. Eric, what upcoming episodes uh, do you guys have planned? We've got some good stuff coming. We've, we've started to, for those that are interested or scared but want to know more about cryptocurrency, we've dropped a couple of those recently. So we're educating people on that. We've got a few more in the pipeline. We're going to be continuously covering things about the home market. And if you're buying your first home, there's there's going to be more content about that. And then ultimately, what we like to tell people, if you feel like you make enough money, but you just don't seem to have enough money, it's probably something in the system that needs to tweak. So if you need any advice, you want to check us out, visit propersense.com or check out our podcast. You can send us a note. We'd love to answer them. And we're just here to help. That's what we want to do. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time, Eric. It was an absolute blast chatting with you today. And I hope everybody has a great rest of their week. Take care, everyone. 